0: Darling, I was on a vacation recently and stayed at an Airbnb. And then I realized that while I was away, my empty house could be making money, honey. If you're someone like me that is busy and not home all the time, your home could be an Airbnb. And it's actually pretty simple to get started. Even if you don't have a whole house, you could start with just a spare room. every month because like yes good credit so let's like do try to do that and like making responsible decisions which we love um but anyway don't wait to make smart financial decisions compare and find smarter credit cards savings accounts and more today at nerdwallet.com Nerdwallet, finance smarter reminder credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a little 30-minute convo with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that is getting my brain ticking. It is getting it going. It is making me curious, hence getting curious. This week, I'm curious about trade unions and what they actually do. That's why I sat down with Rebecca Given, Associate Professor of Labor Studies and Employment Relations at Rutgers University. Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Benes. I'm very excited this week because we're hearing so much right now about trade unions. I feel like over my life I've heard a lot about like unions. I I think Jimmy Hoffa. I think I think mob. I think I don't I don't know what a union is. Like I'm a millennial, so I brought in an amazing professor, full of knowledge, Rebecca Given right yeah I, I nailed it you nailed it i oh, God i didn't put like too much emphasis on the on the Venn part it's so, like given. no it's just given i love that so could, what do you want me to call you like professor given do you want me to call you Rebecca? rebecca what, okay rebecca welcome thank you thank you so much for coming um, so you know unions? What are they? Are they something from the '40s? Are they? Why does the Supreme Court seem to hate them? Like, what's going on? Those are great questions. Unions uh, were actually at their biggest
1: in the '40s, so you're totally right to wonder if they're something from the '40s. And they also have this funny reputation throughout our history, where people think Jimmy Hoffa, or maybe they think of auto workers in Michigan from you know 50 years ago. But there are still about 15 million Americans in unions. Um, More than one in 10 of us workers are in unions. And at the most sort of basic level, unions are just groups of working people who come together to speak in one voice because they can speak more effectively when they go to their bosses for something together than if you as an individual go to your boss and say, you know, uh, I'm really struggling to get by. I need a raise, or I noticed a safety problem at work. So unions are just um, working people coming together uh, in bigger groups, and it could be a group of two, or it could be a group of hundreds of thousands of people. So, um, and unions are very much uh, a presence in in our workplaces, in our economy, from teachers that we've seen go out on strike, to uh, people in uh, in across in all the Hollywood. Production houses to um, all kinds of all kinds of areas. Um, The engineers that design Boeing planes are union members. All kinds of places we find people who have come together at work to say, you know what, we think we can be more effective if we come together. Like the public transport, I feel like is exactly transport is very very heavily unionized, and um, they work not just on you know you can imagine they would come together to get better wages, but they also do things like pointing out safety issues, right where. You can safely speak up at work if you have the protection of a union to say, I noticed something that might be unsafe for workers, but also for passengers.
0: So, like, where did unions get their power and how did they wield them in their heyday?
1: That Those are great questions. So... Um, back before we had what we consider the New Deal laws that gave us all kinds of workplace rights and really happened primarily in the 1930s, um, it was kind of uh, chaotic because working people would come together and they would walk out on strike. The strike would be illegal. There would be no sort of legal or institutional way for managers to say, hey, let's sit, let's talk, let's bargain a contract. People would go on what we call wildcat strikes, which is where they just walk off the job because they're mad. They haven't voted for a strike they just say we're done. Um and in the 30s they said, you know, that's kind of a problem for the economy for American industry to have everything be so chaotic. Um, and so let's create some sort of ground rules, some legal structures to say, uh, if you want to have a union, you have to you have to vote in the union, um, and the employer has to agree to negotiate, and we'll have a negotiating procedure, and if you want to go on strike, you'll vote for a strike. Um, and when that legislation came into place, it was the National Labor Relations Act. Um, it actually promoted collective bargaining, which is funny now because most government entities don't don't really promote unions and collective bargaining. They might say they're sort of fine, but they don't say, like, they're preferred. But then they were preferred because if you want successful companies and industries, you want a way to stop people going out on strike, right? So at that point, um, the laws really promoted collective bargaining and tons of unions uh, sprung up or got bigger. Lots and lots of workers organized Um in 1947, there was some pushback, uh, especially from southern states who uh, wanted to limit workers' rights, especially uh, the workers that have always been discriminated against, so especially black word workers. Um, and so some of those workers were excluded. But um, we had stronger protections. Like some of
0: those workers were excluded.
1: Yeah. So it's a really interesting story. So the New Deal legislation I mentioned, there's the legislation promoting unions, but there's also things like um, – what the Fair Labor Standards Act, which is how you get overtime. If you work, you know, over a certain number of hours, how you're, how you're entitled to overtime, right? and um in in congress the southern senators uh really didn't want to give power to black workers and to form unions or to get paid better and so what they did was they said where are black workers mostly found well they're found primarily in agriculture and domestic work disproportionately not necessarily primarily and so uh still to this day agricultural workers and domestic workers actually don't have any of those workplace rights. Uh, They have a few workplace rights, I should say, but they don't have these rights to things like overtime. Um, But they still form unions, right? So one of the interesting things about unions is there are laws that say, you know, these are the people who can come together and vote in a union. But what we saw like in the teacher strikes is even people uh, who didn't have that right Uh, would do it anyway. They'd say, you know what? We're mad. Education's been underfunded in our state. We're going to walk off. We're going to go on strike. So there's this tension between what's legally allowed, the institutions that have been created, and people just acting because they're frustrated, they're fed up, they're mad, and they can't see any other strategies other than going out on
0: strike. So how did, um, you know, it seems like You know, unions were kind of created by the government in the 40s to help prevent, like, you know, uh, quick disruptions in transportation and, you know, I would imagine, like, banking, education, blah, blah, blah. And so when did they really start to try to come in and chip away at the rights of unions and, and the ability of them to really function? Like, when did they become, like... So, an, 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 yeah. an enemy or whatever. So it's
1: been re- it's been really gradual over time, but um, some of the families that you're familiar with that we consider sort of the dark money in politics, the Kochs, the Broad family, the Waltons, all of the those- The Broad?
0: Yep. De- like the museum people? Those
1: people, the DeVos family. Um, They don't have a museum. Well, they may have a museum,
0: I don't or know. But the Broad does, and yeah, the those Brode people? Has,
1: yeah, they put a lot of money into fighting unions and they do it in a number of ways they do it at the state level where they say we're going to change the laws um in missouri there was just an attempt to change the laws to make it harder to unionize and the people voted it down and they said no we want it to be easier for unions we don't want it to be harder for unions so the same kinds of and is that
0: essentially not to keep interrupting you but is that essentially because you know these big families with dark mo- or the big families with the money like they run corporations. And if unions are able to chip away at the profits on a corporation, like if, if the family or the, you know, the corporate side of it's keeping 80% of the profits and the workers are like, Hey, we think that we should get like 40% and you can have 60% or whatever. The family is like, well, we don't want to lose our 20% too, so we're going to make this legally harder for you.
1: Yeah, they um, they don't want to pay workers more. And we know workers and unions get paid about 20% more than workers without unions. So that's very significant if you think about what you're what you're taking home. So they don't want to pay workers more. And then unions, one of the things unions do as well as bargaining in the workplace is they do advocacy and lobbying. So teachers advocate for better public education funding. And so a lot of these, these families a lot of these big corporations, they don't want corporate taxes that would pay for sort of public goods like, like education. So they feel that by uh, chipping away at union rights, making it harder and harder for workers to organize unions, even if they clearly want them. And we know that many workers who don't have unions want them. Um, they will kind of be more and more profitable. They'll have lower corporate taxes and they won't have to pay their workers as much
0: with the thing that just happened in Missouri so there was a law that was passed that that was going to make it harder for unions to unionize mm-hmm. and then there and then there was a referendum that was like hey we don't want this law and then that yeah. referendum is what passed
1: yeah so what we see, which is really interesting, is they're all of these, this, as I said, chipping away at the ability for workers to have unions and at things like minimum wage laws and all of that. But what we also see, and this is where millennials come in, every time it's put to a vote, people say, yes, I want to vote for uh, a higher minimum wage. Or in this case, yes, I want to vote for it to be easier, not harder for people to have unions and be represented at work. So there's this tension between the sort of money that drives a lot of uh, politics at the the state and the federal level, and then if you actually ask people what they want, so people think unions should have more influence. It should be easier. More people should be able to be in unions. Um, but then there are these very well resourced entities that are that are that are trying to stop that.
0: Which are like the Coke, the Cokes of the world, the big the big exactly. buddies of the world. Exactly. Um, and so, what does the well, I guess really what I'm trying to what I'm asking is like how do unions work when they are functioning in a like yeah, so it's a yeah, that's a that's a great question. And I think you know a lot of
1: people have never been exposed to unions. They may never have had a family member in a union. Um, basically, unions do kind of three things which uh, are kind of under the category of collective bargaining, which is they bargain a contract that covers everybody. Um, They also do the advocacy that I mentioned. And then the third thing they do is what we kind of consider, like, we can call it mutual aid. All that means is helping people. It could be anything from a little welfare fund that is a hardship fund to providing your health insurance, right? So um, one interesting uh, thing that happened, and then I'll come back to how unions work, uh, is um, there's been... Uh, a lot a big growth in the marijuana industry especially in states where it's legalized and so there's a union called the UFCW that's trying to say you know what these are retail workers these are agricultural workers these are low-wage workers we should see if they want a union and there's one boss who said you know what I wanted to provide health insurance for my workers, but I can't because the federal government doesn't think I'm a legal business, even though the state of Washington does. And so he worked with the union to say, let's get them union health insurance. Right. So there are some really cool things where bosses actually can recognize, you know, the union can be good for everyone.
0: But they're not a threat. They're they're not
1: a threat. They're helpful. The boss wants the workers to have health insurance. They'll be happy. They'll be healthy. They'll stay longer. They won't quit to go get another job with better benefits. So there are many reasons why bosses might want the benefit of a union. But- I guess in terms of how they work, um, the, you know, the workers come together and kind of talk about what they want. And eventually that uh, is sort of funneled into this collective bargaining process, which is where you negotiate a contract that covers a whole set of workers. And it might say, you know, it might say. Uh, what your days off are, it might say what your work process is. It usually has a lot of transparency about pay. So instead of having that sort of arbitrary thing where you don't know what the person next to you is getting paid and they negotiate it individually, the pay is kind of set on a scale that might be based on your experience, your skills, your job title, your role, all of that. And they bargain that. So in the best case scenario, everybody's had a chance to put their input and say, you know what, it's really important to me to have flexible working hours because I'm a parent. And sometimes I leave early to pick my kid up from school. Um, so I'm going to prioritize that when we come to bargaining. And the other person says, you know, I'm an older worker. I'm getting close to retirement. I want to make sure our retiree benefits are prioritized. So they all come together collectively and negotiate. And depending um, how uh, willing the management is to negotiate with them, but also how much leverage they have, how strong they've proven themselves to be, they'll get a contract that hopefully will be will be good
0: for the members and for the workers. So does each union kind of have like a board Yeah.
1: So the unions are democratic and legally they have to be. So they have, you know, they'll have Uh, a vice president and a president of the local, but then they'll also often elect their negotiating committee um, so that everybody has a chance to sort of vote on who their representatives are that are going to talk to management. And it's often those like workplace leaders, like every job you've had, you know, there's that person who really knows what's going on. They are the person you ask for advice for uh, if there's something you're not sure about. And often those people can be end up being in union leadership
0: positions because they're kind of naturals. Okay. So basically, so they legally have to be democratically elected so that you can, like, get that kind of, like, I imagine her, like, red and orange is the new black, but not in prison, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, It's, so, like, the reds of the group. Is exactly. Kind of, like, who ends up being, like, your negotiating person. And, exactly. And that's how it works. Okay, cute. So I feel like I have, like, a much better working understanding of how this works. But I want to get into another gorgeous can of worms, which is going to come up right after this break, you guys. So not to leave you hanging, but listen to our gorgeous commercials. They're going to be entertaining. They're going to be as insightful as you can make a commercial. And, you know, so just in your seatbelts, hold on tight, and we'll be right back with more Getting Curious after this. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them ever take their first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Having built a business or two myself, I know just how difficult the whole process is. But Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Yes! From LLC information to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC information plans using our link taylorbrands.com slash JVN. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S.com com slash JVN. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. They always say trust your gut. But one time, my gut told me to bleach my eyebrows. And that was fashionable, but not widely well received. While probiotics can't help you with most of your gut decisions, it can give your gut a little bit of support. And Ritual has your back. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Did you know daily disturbances like poor diets, stress, travel, the use of certain medications, and plenty of other factors can throw off your gut microbiome? Oh, no! Enter Ritual. Their Symbiotic Plus has been a gorgeous tool. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide, your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash curious. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash curious for 25% off. Hey, it's Jonathan Van Ness. Americans United for Separation of Church and State defends your freedom to live as yourself and believe as you choose, so long as you don't harm others. Core freedoms like abortion rights, marriage equality, public education, and even American democracy itself rest upon the wall of separation between church and state. Christian nationalists are attacking these freedoms, seeking to force us all to live by their narrow beliefs. Americans United is fighting back. Freedom without favor and equality without exception. Learn more about AU at au.org slash curious. Don't you just love when someone looks at you and says, what were you up to last night? Well, no matter how late you were up the night before, Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops can help your eyes look more refreshed and awake. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute to help your eyes look brighter and whiter for up to eight hours. No wonder it has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. You won't believe your eyes. You know you can trust them though because they're made by the eye care experts at Bausch and Lomb and they're backed by six clinical studies. Eye doctors trust them too. They're the number one recommended redness reliever eye drop. The one and only Lumify is an amazing drop that will have people saying something's different about you in the best way possible. So check out lumifyeyes.com to learn more. Honey, take a moment and just think to yourself, describe yourself in one word. Are you simple? sophisticated or adventurous. However you dress, the stylist at Stitch Fix can help you find your favorite piece. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that delivers your favorite clothing, shoes, and accessories directly to you. First, you complete a style profile, then an expert personal stylist will send you a hand-picked box of items based on your preferences. They even have men's and kids' boxes, too, which we love, honey. Let's get everyone, uh, you know, taken care of. Plus, I'm sure you can mix and match if they aren't, you know, in the dark ages. What if you want something from both? With no subscription required, you can pick between automatic shipments or only getting new pieces on demand. Shipping, exchanges, and returns are always free. Plus, the $20 styling fee is automatically applied towards anything you keep from your box. We love our Stitch Fix personal stylists. I can customize my own gorgeous preferences, whether it's sizing, brand, or budget. Once you finish the style quiz and set up your ideal number of deliveries, honey, you'll receive everything from jewelry to shoes to bags, all to go with your hand-picked outfits. I love that. Get started today at stitchfix.com slash JVN and get an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box. That's S-T-I-T-C-H fix.com slash JVN for an extra 25% off when you keep everything in your box. Support for today's show comes from Rakuten. Rakuten is a free member-based loyalty program that lets you earn up to 40% cash back at over 2,500 stores. It's perfect for all your back-to-school shopping needs. Get cash back on everything from school supplies to new clothes at some of your favorite retailers like Macy's, Forever 21, Walmart, and more. And don't worry, it's always free. No gimmicks, no points to redeem. Better yet... Rakuten is so simple and easy to use. Simply go to rakuten.com, click on the retailer you're looking for to activate the cash back, and then shop as normal. You'll earn a percentage of every purchase you make up to 40% cash back. Then, every three months, members will be paid in the form of a check or via PayPal. Sign up today at rakuten.com. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N dot com. If there is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp Online Counseling can help. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, anger, family conflicts, LGBTQ matters, grief, self-esteem, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. And get help at your own time and at your own pace. Anything you share is confidential. And it's so convenient. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions as well as chat and text with your therapist. If for some reason you are not happy with your counselor, though, you can request a new one at any time and for no additional charge. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness Listers can get 10% off your first month with the discount code JVN. So why not get started today? Go to BetterHelp.com slash JVN. Then simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with the counselor you'll love. That's BetterHelp.com slash JVN. You can hear ad-free new episodes of Getting Curious, plus two weekly bonus episodes only on Stitcher Premium. For a free month of Stitcher Premium, go to StitcherPremium.com slash JVN and use promo code JVN. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. We are with Professor Rebecca Givens. And what? What are Rebecca Givens? Is singular. What are you a professor
1: of? That's a great question. I'm a professor of labor studies and employment relations. So I think about research, about teach about basically work all day
0: long. Love it. That almost leaves me speechless when I think about it. Because as a you know as a hairdresser, my goal was to always get the fuck out of any sort of that. <laughs> uh you know lifestyle not yep. the teaching but like any sal- like any mandatory salon meeting mm-hmm. i literally would find myself in a corner doing like crunches or like push-ups on like a cutting stool or like just or like fidgeting like i i really don't love mandatory group of meetings so let me ask you when
1: you had a mandatory meeting you were probably an independent contractor and you probably didn't get paid for the, for the mandatory no. meeting, right? So that's a really big issue. Independent contractors usually uh, have no ability to, to uh, form unions. We talked about those excluded workers and freelancers, and it's a really complicated area. Because I got straight area. up
0: abused in yeah. like a lot of my jobs, I feel like. I mean, it was like a not yeah cool.
1: and from and all kinds of workers, from Uber drivers to uh, UFC mixed martial arts fighters, are legally or are classified by the people they're doing the work for as independent contractors, so they don't have any of the rights of employees. but for I also overtime, don't really, mind, but,
0: but I also don't care because I don't have to go to fucking meetings now because I have my own little salon, so I don't have to deal with any of that stuff. And people... Not to cuss, but you know.
1: people who are independent contractors, some of them truly should be classified as independent contractors you're independent you can set your hours you can set your location all of that and some of them it's sort of questionable yeah yeah yeah, yeah,
0: yes because actually this one salon where i worked at you had to be independent contractor but then like she wanted you there for certain hours and wanted like all this stuff but it like wasn't really truly independent and And it was also really fucked up because she wouldn't let you buy your own hair color so then you couldn't even like you couldn't write off your yep. stuff like you couldn't like write off your stuff even though you're like it, she was really the worst
1: yeah and actually now in the gig economy when that's proliferating there are a lot of uh, what's,
0: what's that mean the
1: gig economy is things like uber and TaskRabbit and a lot of the app-based uh programs where people are sort of Uh, the apps matchmake you. So if you're an Uber driver, they matchmake you with a passenger. And so they say you're just an independent contractor, but actually Uber sets all these rules, what kind of car you have to have, how much you have to drive, all of that. So there's a lot of legal cases working through the courts about... Are they really independent contractors? If that's their or primary source they... of income, exactly. and they're doing it for
0: like, 40 hours a week, And it's the main
1: business of the company. They're supposed to use independent contractors for things Random that aren't stuff. their core. Exactly. And so there's a lot of questions, and we don't know how all those legal cases will be settled. And
0: with, like, even, like, glam squad and stuff. Like, if you're yeah, doing, like, if you're doing exactly house call the... beauty stuff...
1: Yep, that's all gig economy stuff.
0: But also, it's like, you know, and I think this is the classic differentiation between, like, Republicans and Democrats is that, like, in my mind, mm-hmm. a Republican would be more, like, hands off, don't legislate that. Like, let the glam squads work. Let yeah. the Ubers work. Let mm-hmm. the Airbnbs yeah. work. Like, let these – like, let them yeah, – let, what- it, let it prosper and, like, don't regulate it too much. And whereas a Democrat would say, like, well, you know, some mm-hmm. of these workers are having, like – you know, there's abuse right. taking place and there's like unsafe conditions. and
1: Right. And historically, the main way that we've been able to let workers fight back against abuses is letting them come together. So if you say to people, you can't be a union, you can't come together and say, you know, this is unsafe or why are you allowed to dr- to drive passengers around for so many hours, even when you might be overtired and unsafe on the road? Um, The best way to fix things like that is by letting workers uh, be in unions. If you don't have the protection of a union, even if you are classified as an employee, you can be fired pretty much at any time for any reason or no reason at all. You have basically no protections with just a few small exceptions. So I wonder
0: if there's ever a world where you could like... um remove the whole independent contractor thing from being able to be unionized.
1: Exactly. So that's something that people are working on. There's a case in Seattle, actually, the Teamsters have been working with the drivers from, from Uber and and all the other uh, app-based driving services to say, you know what, it shouldn't matter. You should still be able to unionize. These, these uh, drivers still deserve to come together collectively and have some protection when they advocate for themselves, for their passengers, for road safety, for all
0: those things. And also, like, these massage apps and beauty apps because I do think it's like the idea of like the, I've worked for salons where it was like commission um mm-hmm. and then it would like it's one thing if it's like 50-50 but it's another thing if it's like 20-80 and I think a lot of these house yeah. call places because they are hooking you up with yeah. the client like I don't know exactly how it works. I'd imagine there's like a sliding scale sort of a thing, but I do feel like those people need to be able to like come together. Yeah,
1: and right now they're totally excluded unless they can get themselves classified as employees to come together. And if you if you're an employee and you start working with your coworker on unionizing, you actually have the protection where legally they're not allowed to fire you for say, for working with them. But if you're, um, you know, a glam ska- squad or a massage app um and they say you're not an employee they can just kick you off the app which looks to everybody like being fired but they say you can't be fired you weren't an employee so there's a lot of questions you also don't have all the workplace protections against things like sexual harassment um if you're not classified as, em- as an employee so there's a lot of problems and there's some creative solutions out there although um as you picked up on there's a lot of uh, people who say no no we don't want more regulation we don't even if it's working to protect people
0: um yeah. Well, I mean, and I think that that can be problematic because I think that like I am I do feel I identify as a Democrat, but like I definitely have experienced and seen where overregulation and like with Obamacare that happened. I think that that did kind of I mean, I want healthcare for people, but also like, you know, making people had like the 50 employees and over there were so many companies that had like 53 employees 60 employees Mm. that had to like fire people in order to like to be able to so i think with regulation that does there are real world consequences where like businesses are impeded from thriving because things are over regulated and i so i I, but i don't know what the sweet spot is sometimes i think that like you know the left comes in too fast and too hot and then the right like doesn't come in enough
1: yeah and i think in the i mean in the case of unions we've moved so far away from unions uh, sort of as a country and there's lots of examples of unions being good for the workers and for the management right so union unionized workplaces not only do they have better wages which uh, which is great for workers and and management may not like it but they also have you know people stay in their jobs longer they have better safety records so hospitals with unionized nurses have uh, better health care outcomes right so oh, that's there are lots cool. of yeah there are lots of ways in which, um, you know, unions can make uh, things better for everyone. Construction sites, unionized construction sites are much, much, much safer. So when we have a lot of non-union construction, you have workers dying. So there are a lot of places where, um, in a way, having a union is sort of, um, it's not a massive form of regulation because you're actually negotiating. You're not saying you have to do things one way or you have to do things another way. You're saying you have to let your workers speak collectively and then you negotiate with them and figure it out. So maybe you want this kind of health insurance or maybe you want that kind of health insurance. It's not imposed by the government.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I well and I think that I'm not I don't think I'm conflating like unionized stuff with regulating stuff. I'm just trying to Yeah. imagine like how politically politicians would approach would approach unions
1: absolutely yeah and i think in a lot of cases you know democrats have generally supported unions but um not as strongly as they have and you know half a century ago republicans didn't oppose unions as strongly as they as they as they do now but everything is so much more polarized and it's sort of every everything is is uh in opposition the Koch brothers have some uh, unionized workplaces in their conglomerate right so you wouldn't necessarily expect that um, but you know there are some strange I guess bedfellows um, although the Koch brothers are very very anti-union but there are cases where uh, there well, are unions in the workplaces well yeah but
0: that's probably just because like legally they w- they have employees and like and they, they came have together to, yeah, and unionized yeah, yeah yeah so I guess I'm not really that doesn't surprise me as much one yeah thing that i'm curious about is what happens when unions go bad are you able to what if you are at a workplace where there's a union where you don't like how it's governed or you don't like how it is are you allowed to be at the workplace yeah and not um like because i think that was like a case that i remember hearing about at npr where it was like there was a workplace union where someone didn't want to be a part of it and they didn't but then the union was still collecting mandatory fees
1: exactly so this is something that this is the case that just went to the supreme court and ruled Uh, in June of this year, where um, unions... The legal, the legal structures say that if you have a union in the workplace, let's say you have a union of nurses in a hospital, that union has to represent all the nurses in the hospital. Um, and they don't all have to be members, but they're all covered by that collective bargaining agreement. They're all covered by the wages that you that you negotiate and everything else. And it used to be that before the Supreme Court case, it's called Janus, well, it still is the case that the unions represent everyone. But it used to be they could collect some of their costs for collecting everyone they called a fair share fee. So it wasn't full union dues, but it was a percentage of that to say, you know what, we're negotiating on your behalf. If you have a problem and need to bring a complaint, if you get disciplined and we represent you, we're going to do all those things that cost money. So we're going to collect this sort of fair share fee. And um, that case, which was brought by the, the, you know, it was funded by the think tanks that are funded by the Koch brothers. It wasn't just someone who an idea occurred to him at work one day. They said, uh, we don't want to pay fair share fees. We want unions to have to spend their money to represent us, to negotiate our wages, to help us if we have a disciplinary problem and we want to bring a case. Um, but we're going to bring a constitutional challenge. And, and they won. So now unions have to represent everybody. This applies to public sector work, so state employees, teachers, that kind of thing. Unions still have to do all the work that costs them money for everybody, but um, they don't get to collect some of those fees. Um, so that's, you know, that's now uh, public sector workers can opt out of paying fees, but still receive the benefits, which is, again, this way that it sort of tries, the the uh, anti-union forces try to attack unions and say, no, we're going to make you do work that you can't recover any resources for, so we're going to try to, you know, bankrupt you if we possibly can.
0: Right, and then, would the what does the union do with that now? Like, or do they yeah. can they try to collect like you know voluntary fees? Yeah, There's,
1: exactly. So what they want to do? But then
0: could they like light your ass in like in public and be like, well, it's a voluntary fee, but like Susie in row twenty four <laughs> didn't pay it, and neither did Carl in row twenty five yeah. or whatever. And here's a list of the people who didn't they pay abs- it.
1: They absolutely could, and most unions believe in sort of you know solidarity and coming together and being supportive. So uh, I don't think that's the first thing they're going to do is try to really embarrass people. The thing they're going to try to do is what we call organizing right talk to your workers why why uh why do you think it's good to have a union here you know maybe you're in a unionized grocery store and you can compare what you have compared to what someone in a non-unionized grocery store have and say you know if nobody pays in if everybody's what we call a free rider just riding on the goodwill of the people who are paying in The union won't exist, and you'll be able to be fired for no reason. You won't have due process rights. You won't have any of those things. So you try to talk to those workers. You could embarrass them, and in some cases, um, that may be something people would consider. I would say the thing is to try to talk to them, to persuade them, to help them understand that if you're paying dues and they're not, you're actually subsidizing many of the advantages that they're getting, and that's kind of not fair. So just appeal to their sense of fairness. Or, you, I mean, you could shame them, I would say, appealing to... Sense of fairness
0: uh, first, and then you shame first, second. Maybe shame second. Yeah. So what is the argument for not like what is the really the argument against unions
1: yeah i mean i think the argument against unions comes down to people who think that bosses should have all the power right and in this country we have really weak protections for workers who aren't in unions so i mentioned most workers are at will employees which means you can just be fired you know um You can be fired because I don't like the... Even though we don't have a dress code, I don't like the color of your shirt. You wore a team hat for a team that I don't like, right? Most people can be fired for a good reason, a bad reason, or no reason at all. So bosses like that. They don't have to actually be fair. They don't have to be equitable. We've heard a lot about, like... Pay inequality, right? Where different workers are getting paid uh, different amounts in a way that might uh, be because of favoritism or discrimination. And, um, you know, bosses like to keep that power. When you have workers acting collectively, it shifts the balance of power a little bit. And if you can come together and say, you know what? We're not going to take it anymore, right? We're not going to. We're either going to go on strike, or we're going to make demands in another way, or we're going to start to talk to customers. We're going to tell patients in a hospital that we have patient safety concerns, and you're not listening to them. Whatever it is, uh, it takes away p- power from the bosses, and in some cases, many cases, bosses say we want all the power. We want the power to pay you less, or give you worse benefits, or fire you for any reason at any time.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's really. Uh, confusing. Trying to untangle the web of like government versus like corporations and the handholding or bedfellows is you know if you will or as, as you will of like you know where like money and power and working in corporations yeah. and all of those things intersect yeah. and then like human nature and yeah, it's really confusing. The whole thing is like just a mess. For some reason, and in, in this, my mind keeps coming back to, um. A worker in a workplace who has, like, a shitty union.
1: Yeah, so let me talk a little bit about that. I mean most workers don't have most jobs are either union or they're not there's a union there or they're not you start your job and you're t- you find out that there's a union or it's a non-union workplace most workers don't have the experience of participating in an organizing drive and getting the union those u- workers that do tend to understand a lot and and they're really engaged but for most workers you're here here I am at work and there's a union and um, you know we joke those of us who think about this that a lot of union leaders are what we call pale male and stale right they're sort old white men, maybe they've been in the leadership for, for longer. And so, you know, you have choices, you can disengage, you can just say, and, you know, union meetings are totally optional, you don't have to get involved, or you can get involved, um, they legally have to be democratic. So you can start talking to your co workers, you can you can take it over, you can say, you know, I want to demand more, why is the leadership of my union Old and they're only focusing on retiree benefits where I'm young and I'm thinking about what's the educational benefit or what's the health insurance for dependents or other things. So one of the things you can do if you think that the union that already exists in your workplace is shitty is um you know take it over yeah. which is a really a really cool thing I and mean, there's a lot of um young people who are thinking about either organizing new unions or taking over their unions and actually some of the teacher strikes so the big teacher strike a few years ago in Chicago that happened after people felt that their union leadership wasn't particularly good they voted them out they got more active Uh, And engage union leadership in. And then they said, you know, we're going to take this on. We're going to go on strike. So because they have to be democratic, you always have the opportunity to get involved.
0: Love. And I guess, too, if like if the government ever really like started to really like make. I mean, you can still like come together and make like a faux union.
1: Yeah. I mean, so a lot of times things that. Uh, look like unions aren't even recognized as unions. So when the teachers walked out in West Virginia, they don't have any uh, collective bargaining rights for public employees are mostly governed by the state law. And in West Virginia, most of those teachers, all those teachers don't have any legal right to collective bargaining. Um, And so so most of them weren't union members because You know, if you don't have bargaining rights, a lot of people won't choose to join the union. Right. But they acted like they were a union. Uh, They didn't have the right to strike; that was illegal. They said, "You know what? We're mad. We've tried all the other options. This is the only way to make our voices heard." Um. And before all the legislation, all strikes were illegal, and people did it all the time anyway. Lose their jobs in West Virginia? No. And not only that, they got raises. They got better funding for public education, and they their strike was so solid that they actually got raises for all public employees in West Virginia, not just teachers. So the show strength is amazing. Yeah.
0: So I guess it's like, because sometimes when I read certain things in the news, I feel like really threatened or worried about certain things. So I guess just if we are reading about like, I mean, you should still definitely be active. We should obviously like encourage like Mm -hmm. people to vote for unions, but it's like, if there is like some random court case that you can't like become a lawyer about, you know, tomorrow and go defend like right now, like know that there are we are a resourceful people and we will like figure out a way to protect ourselves. You can
1: always act collectively, even if you know, the laws keep clamping down on unions, people can always act collectively and people have, you know, strikes have, uh, have existed since the beginning of time, far before we had any legislation about them. Right. Right. So you can always, whether it's walk off the job, you know, make demands of your boss, refuse to work somewhere, talk to customers about working conditions, whatever it is, you can always, always do that regardless of the law. And I think that's really
0: important. Um, and then so, okay, I feel like that, I feel like that makes sense to me. What in your experience of, you know, being a professor or professor of like, of this, of labor studies and and all these things, like, what can you impart on, you know, young people or really any people in the workforce about the way that, you know, uh, the American economy continues to change and the way that, um, you know, labor is? Like, how can people be more successful? How can people be more resourceful? Like, So it's, yeah, it's a great question.
1: Right now, I mean, the economy is doing really well, but wages aren't going up. And one of the things that research really shows is that one of the reasons wages aren't going up is because workers have lost their power to bargain up wages, right? People take whatever wage their boss gives them, they don't have a union to, um, to kind of uh, negotiate for a better wage. And so, uh, wages have have really, you know, remained static even when the economy is booming and jobs are plentiful. Um, And one of the things that's really interesting is um, unionizing in sort of different areas of the economy. So like digital newsrooms, new media, different places where uh, people, where uh, kinds of work that didn't exist before. And people have said, you know what, newspapers have had unions forever. Why can't online publications have unions, right? And so there are these ways in which people are coming together and say, you know what, I want those protections. I don't trust my boss to do the right thing out of the goodness of her heart. And- um, um, I want to come together and uh, make sure that, that we're really protected. And I think right now, this sort of upsurge of activism, especially since 2016, people are really thinking harder and starting to understand, you know, wait, why can I be fired for any reason? That doesn't seem right. I can be fired for no good reason. And then they sort of understand that the main way to protect against that. Is uh, to form a union. We're getting, you know, small groups of workers, and you know, bakeries. Uh, you know, there's a burger uh, chain in out in the Pacific Northwest, Burgerville. That's the first fast food restaurant with a union. So, um, people are saying, you know what? This is an opportunity to reclaim some of those rights that are that are disappearing.
0: Yay! So that's great. So, um, I mean, I feel like, what about uh, in your? line of work, I mean, like, what do people really study about, like, labor? And and why is that important? And like, why should people get involved in like, what you study?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think work is a great thing to study, because it's a bit of everything. It's what most of us do for you know, at least a third of the hours in the day, sometimes more. And, you know, it reflects everything in society. So, you know, when we have racism and we have sexism or we have a sexual harassment epidemic or whatever it is, all of those things come out in the workplace and you can kind of go at it from every angle. You can look at the legal angle. You can look at a more sociological angle, psychology. Why are people so attached to their jobs? Why do they always want to please their boss? There's so many angles you can look at um, that to me, it's just it's just endlessly interesting and there's so many issues, you know, from immigration to elections where it all comes together and has an effect on people at work.
0: So where do you see, I mean, for me, I feel like, I mean, I'm not an economist, but I feel like some of the things that, that are going on in this economy, the hotness of it, the stock market, the numbers, it does feel very a la 2008. Like, I do feel like we could be on like the precipice of like... It feels like it could be crashy a little bit because it just feels so high, and I feel like we have like a crazy person, you know, running the country, and and it seems very corporate. And that and that bubble did burst when we rode that wave yep. last time. Yep. You know, it, it feels fast and it feels loose. Where do you see us going? Where do you think that? What do you think the temperature is? Like,
1: yeah, I mean, I think you know historically our economy goes in cycles, so it'll go up for a while, and then eventually it'll come down, and the people that will be hurt the most by it. Are the people that are the most vulnerable, right? So they're the people that are um, have uh, those lowest wage jobs that are the bottom of the pecking order that um, you know will potentially lose their jobs first, um, and um, and you know it will happen. I'm I'm not I'm not in the business of predictions, but it will happen. We don't know when, and sort of understanding what that means, what that looks like, and how. Uh, how the government, probably not this government, but a government can intervene to sort of soften the blow to say, you know what, if the economy's in a downturn and people. Are losing their jobs? Can we give better unemployment benefits that gives people more spending money that improves the economy? What else can we do, right? So, sort of understanding to me, that's where there is a role of government and sort of smoothing out the cycles. So, when they're up, you can collect more taxes and then you have money to help people when they're down to give people more spending money. But that's to, not even
0: like what they're doing at all right not now because at it's all. up right now and we're collecting we're, less taxes. That's
1: exactly right. I mean, right now, uh, the main agenda is sort of, you know, give uh, big business everything they want so lower taxes don't give their workers any rights because that might constrain what they can do and how much uh, they can profit so that's exactly right
0: what's that thing about like how because you know like unemployment continues to go down yeah But is that because more people are just, like, leaving the workforce and aren't even taking those surveys or something? Not right now, but that's a
1: great question. So the unemployment number only includes people who are actively looking for work. So if you are not looking for a job, you just don't have one, you won't be included as unemployed. And so we
0: talk about the... uh, But how do we determine who is and is not really looking for a job? Well,
1: uh, if you're eligible for unemployment, you actually, like, file a thing that says, this is how many jobs I applied for this week. So we have pretty good... We have pretty good numbers on that. There's a whole Bureau of Labor Statistics. But there are other issues with people who are employed who might be underemployed. So people who, especially in things like Retail, um, where maybe you have a job, but maybe this week you only got four hours on the schedule and next week you got 38 hours on the schedule, and that kind of inconsistency is a problem. So, even when you know that worker would be classified as having a job, but the week where they only had four hours because maybe it was a beautiful yeah. day and everyone went to the beach instead of a restaurant, they got they you know they didn't get to get called into work that day and um, you know they have like problems. Ish. Yeah, the scheduling issue is something that both unions and then other organizations are working on. But there's lots of areas where we can say people have jobs, but they don't necessarily have good jobs like they used to. And some of that can be explained by the fact that not as many of them are covered by unions.
0: So um, this is the point in the podcast where it's like we're winding up. It's towards the end. Like, what have we not covered? What do people need to know about? Whether it's, uh, you know, labor, the economy, what you study. What do, what have I left out?
1: I would just say, you know, I think a lot the there's a new, there's many opinion polls that show a lot of people want a union who don't have one. And so thinking about what it would be like uh, if people who didn't have a union could have one. And the thing, uh, you know, the way to get a union is to start by talking to your coworkers. What's wrong? What's your experience at work? Could we, could we do better if we acted collectively than each person going to the boss and sort of making an individual request that might, you know, you might be fired for making an individual request. So I think, you know, I think people should talk to their coworkers more and figure out if a union would be helpful in your workplace, but just talk, don't let the boss control the communication, share what you're getting paid, share the problems, Share your harassment stories, share your racist and sexist experiences at work, whether they're from coworkers or bosses or customers or whatever it is, you know, talk to each other and start to think about, could we organize to make things better for all of
0: us. Got it. Love that story. Do it. Um, thank you so much. Thank for, you. For coming and of giving us your time and and really opening up our eyes on on, on labor and and uh, and, uh, and collective bargaining. And, and I just really appreciate your time, Professor. So thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. My guest this week was Rebecca Givens. You'll find links to Rebecca's work and socials in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JVN. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much, Quinn, for letting us use your amazing music. Keep it rocking, girl. We love you. If you enjoyed our show, subscribe in Apple Podcasts. Show someone where Apple Podcasts is. Tell them about Spotify, honey. That's a thing, too. Uh, Write a little review in Apple Podcasts. Introduce a friend. Uh, You know, share us on your socials. Do all the most. We love you guys. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time on Getting Curious.
2: Hey guys, it's Sashir and Nicole from Best, Best Friends. Friends. Our podcast has been out for a few months. If you haven't listened to it, you should. We've already asked the big questions in life. Imagine if we could lay eggs. Eat. Okay, sure. <laughs> I guess we wouldn't that be funny if you could eat from yourself? No, because that's in when you can- cannibalism. Not when you eat yourself. What? Hmm? Answer listener questions. Hi Nicole and Sashir. What happens if Sashir dies first? I mean, I've never thought of that. Well. I would be so sad. (laughs) Oh no, Nicole. Nicole. (laughs) I'm not gonna die. Take Buzzfeed quizzes. Let's pick eight foods and we'll give you a sex position to try. Whoa. This is wild. Plus, we bring on other funny best friends to talk about their friendship. I almost want to cry, I feel, I don't know why that really made me feel emotional about it. It's because (laughs) it's pure to talk about friendship. It is. nice. It's so nice. It's like so rare to like articulate it, but she's always there for me. Like I I think she's just somebody who, oh, (laughs) Oh, I love this. I (laughs) I love it so much. Oh my god. It's really sweet. Best Friends with Nicole Byer and Sashir Zameda is new every Wednesday. On Stitcher. Apple Podcasts. Spotify or wherever. You get your podcast. Listen. Oh my God. To it.